On to the next round, but will Amazon really build its second headquarters here in central Indiana? This week, we sit down with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett, Fisher's Mayor Scott Fadness, and we'll hear from House Speaker Brian Bosma about the efforts to land Amazon and about the push to change our state's alcohol laws. Plus, shutting down the federal government and the blame game in Washington. We'll look at what voters are saying about the president's first year in office. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. Another busy weekend in Washington. Vice President Pence traveling overseas this weekend with Congress in the midst of a blame game, working late into the night to try and keep the federal government running and avoid this government shutdown. All of this happening as President Trump marks one year since his inauguration. Negotiations continuing in Congress over the budget and immigration. Republicans blaming Democrats, the White House blaming Congress as they worked late into the night and into the weekend. Meantime, Vice President Mike Pence is traveling the Middle East this weekend, leaving Friday night just as Congress approached that deadline to keep the government open. Pence's trip being closely watched amidst a number of ongoing controversies in Washington. We'll talk more about all of this later this morning and look at some of the polling numbers as we reach the one-year mark for the Trump-Pence administration. Meantime, Indiana's current governor is among those celebrating some big news for the Indianapolis area, now one of 20 finalists for Amazon's second North American headquarters. Governor Eric Holcomb posted this reaction on Twitter. He said, quote, we are thrilled to see Indianapolis on the list of finalists for Amazon's second headquarters. He says it speaks to Indiana's growing reputation on the world stage as a great state to locate and grow a business. Uh, Russ McQuaid sat down with Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett. We're not New York, Houston, or Atlanta, and maybe that's the best reason of all to move to central Indiana. We've got a highly motivated workforce here. It is an affordable place to live. We've got a lot of high-tech education going on around here and a state and local government that know how to put together attractive financial incentive packages to lure big-time employers here. To find out why Amazon would want to move to Indianapolis, ask the man who headed up the metro area's bid. I think that Amazon was able to see uh, what Indianapolis offers over and above other communities. I will tell you what has surprised me are the communities that did not make the finals. Houston, Texas, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, Detroit, St. Louis, Minneapolis, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Louisville, um, you know, a lot of the Midwestern cities. And then there's the list of those that did. Indy's competition, if it hopes to move up to the next round in the pursuit of Amazon's $5 billion gold ring. We have the assets that they were looking for, the talent, the talent that we produce in this region, um, the, the sense that they can be a part of this community and that we work together very well. A new Amazon North American headquarters would be expected to add about 50,000 jobs to the central Indiana economy and draw heavily on the existing high-tech industry and university infrastructure outside of Marion County. We have tremendous human capital. We have uh, 86 to uh, now nearing 90,000 residents. Uh, over 50% of our people are college educated. Uh, we continue to have a, a growing entrepreneurial and tech sector in our own right here in the city of Fishers. We can supply their, their talent needs like that. And we have this in our DNA. We are pioneering into this new frontier. And so we are one of the fastest growing tech uh, states in the country. 
And so I'm not surprised that we're competing with Boston or Austin or, or uh, Los Angeles or New York. We belong there. Our business-friendly environment, our tax structure, uh, those types of things that uh, I think would convince Amazon that should they locate here, their employees will enjoy a high quality of life, great educational opportunity, uh, and a, a wonderful place to live, work, and play. Getting this far is, is not why we're in it. We're in it to win it. We wanted to convince them that Amazon should be coming to Indianapolis because it's going to be a place that's going to attract talent, retain talent, and it's going to be a place where their employees are going to want to call home. That was Russ McQuaid reporting. Congressman Andre Carson also reacting to the Amazon news, saying this is, quote, further proof our city is one of the nation's innovation centers. State lawmakers also weighing in. Thursday, House Speaker Brian Bosma told reporters legislation could potentially be required to help with the incentive process, but he also said he wants the state to be careful. So first of all, we're very excited uh, that Indianapolis made the short list on uh, the Amazon uh, second headquarters. It's not surprising. I think it's reflective of uh, the 15 years of work that we've put in uh, primarily on the Republican side to make Indiana as regulatory friendly and as business friendly and tax friendly as possible. So I'm not surprised we were selected. Uh, and I also, will also not be surprised if, uh, if some legislative action has to be taken uh, in order to facilitate some of the incentives that are being discussed right now. We'll work, work closely with the administration on that, be sure that uh, the IEDC and the governor have all the tools they need to make Indiana as attractive in this regard as uh, possible without hopefully giving away the store. Well, image-wise, I think just having the, the major tech company in the United States located here would be a huge statement, I think, for Indiana. So it's exciting that we're in the top 20. But that is the top 20, right? So there are a lot of other communities and states vying for it. But I think it also says that Indiana is uh, recognized now as a growing tech center. Now, Bosimo was asked, does he know of any specific reason why they'd need to act legislatively to help with specific incentives? He said, no, quote, I'm just saying we're here and we're ready to help if they need us. And as some experts have noted, there may also be some downsides to winning this bid. Nick McGill looked into that part of the story. There's two ways to look at being in Amazon's top 20 for its second headquarters, the good and the bad. But the dean of UND School of Business says you also have to look at the big picture. You know, the impacts are not going to be all felt the same. When it comes to the housing market, Dr. Larry Belcher says you could expect to see a spike in prices. Amazon will no doubt bring in people to help fill the 50,000 jobs promised, and the Circle City is already running short on inventory. Ultimately, Houses don't spring up out of the ground overnight, so you'd have probably a more sustained uh, construction flow after that. Speaking of flow, there's also the whole traffic issue. If you start talking about large numbers of people and depending on where the facility is located and where those people decide to live, then it's going to add congestion, I would think putting indefinite strain on the highways in the city's public transportation system. Amazon will also want to fill those jobs with the best and brightest. It may make it harder for other local tech companies to compete. You may not have enough people, first of all, to satisfy that. And then as far as potentially being competitive with the salaries that they may be offering, it may be difficult for smaller players to recruit. But of course it's not all bad. Otherwise, why else would cities be salivating to land the bid? The location of something like this is going to have a magnetic effect. I mean, you're going to draw other either ancillary businesses, suppliers, or talent into the area just because of that. Bolcher says the addition would put the Circle City as a world business destination, and income and money spent by those with the jobs would filter out into all other areas of the community. 
impacts on education, impacts on culture, you know, charitable giving, uh, being a part of the, the arts and professional sports communities. And that was Nick McGill reporting. Coming up this Sunday in Focus, talking about Sunday alcohol sales. That proposal moving forward at the State House, but it looks like the bill allowing cold beer sales, well, that one could be on ice. We'll have the latest up next. And why the former DCS director's new job could say an awful lot about one of the governor's most important working relationships at the State House. Stick around, we'll be right back. All right, let's bring in our panel right now. Tony Samuel was vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign. Two former state lawmakers, Democrat Christina Hale, Republican Mike Murphy, and former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. So much going on, and we're going to talk about the shutdown fight coming up. But first, I want to finish up our discussion on Amazon. You just heard Speaker Brian Bosma say the legislature could potentially have to act to open up more incentives. But he said he doesn't want to give away the store. How should state and local officials be approaching this situation. Well, I think both Speaker Bosma and Mayor Hogsett, Mayor Fadness, have the right approach. Obviously, this would be a huge deal for us, a big deal for Indiana. It's so great to see, you know, bipartisan support for this. Uh, you got a Democratic and a Republican mayor, Republican governor, all fighting for these jobs. Uh, but at the end of the day, we can't give away the store. You know, we have to maintain some level of fiscal responsibility. If for no other reason than it tells everybody else, "Hey, come on in. We'll we'll open up the uh, the treasure trove and give you whatever you want." And Speaker Bosma was asked about that because he he mentioned this as if. You know, there are already discussions. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't doors. know what's going on. And it's important not to uh, be high-fiving each other too early in the process. There's a lot of work to be done. They have a great team. Um, but, you know, companies come and go. And we saw this with United, right? We put a lot of money into United, and then they left after a few years. So the important thing is that incentives are based on human capital that is going to stay here no matter what happens to a corporate headquarters. So things like training, education, highway exits. All that, big issues. All, yeah. yeah, all things that, that can be put and will stay here for the benefit of everybody, not just Amazon. How should the legislature and state officials approach this whole thing? Well, I think they could use as a model what we did when we attracted the NCAA headquarters here to Indianapolis. You know, then Democrat Governor Franco Bannon and Joe Kern and his lieutenant really put together a team, came back two years in a row to make sure that we could honor our promise and we scored that incredible headquarters which has been so good for us. And like you said, we're one of 20 right now. It's worth noting three of the 20 cities are all in the D.C. area, Tony, so uh, some stiff competition here. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say, a lot of uh, good competition. Um, and everything, I agree with everything that everyone has said here and with what the Speaker and the President Pro Tem were saying about the benefits of Indiana and, and what might draw Amazon here. I was looking for uh, some other factors that might play into it, and hopefully our uh, business leaders, the folks working on this at IEDC and the governor's office are looking at this as well. We do a lot with wind and solar. We're doing more and more, and Amazon, one of those companies that's looking right. towards renewable energy, they have a, an agreement with Pattern Energy on a wind farm up in northwest Indiana. That could really be attractive to, to Amazon. Another issue that's uh, now uh, before the General Assembly, there's a, a bill to move a media, a film and media production rebate. Uh, most of the other states on that list of 20 have such an incentive to try to get more uh, film and media production here. That might help. Something like that might help, because especially with Amazon doing so much more in media a content. A lot going on there with tech. Uh, let's also talk about another big issue at the State House: Sunday sales. You've got the Sunday sales bill moving forward uh, out of second reading in the Senate, but it looks like the cold beer proposal to allow for cold beer sales at grocery and convenience stores, uh, that did not make it out of a committee this past week. 
Here's what House Speaker Brian Bosma and Senate President Pro Tem David Long had to say about those issues. It's going to take some time to get those worked out, some consensus on it. You may not get everybody on the same page, but if you can come up with a reasonable, thoughtful formula that works and levels the playing field, and, 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 and in the future maybe look at how we deal with our liquor licenses. It doesn't surprise me that the, uh, that the Sunday sales passed. It was highly recommended almost unanimously by the commission that studied it all summer. Uh, it was not passed uh, by a majority in the commission on the, uh, on the cold beer issue. I'm sure it will be a continued topic of discussion. Uh, a lot of these things uh, take, take some time. Gradualism is a part of uh, legislative uh, achievement, so I think the Sunday sales issue, I, I'm hopeful that we can put that one to bed and get it behind us and then move on to the other regulatory matters. Is cold beer dead for this year in the House, as far as you're concerned? It's my understanding that the Senate has a rule that once a matter is decisively defeated, it will not be considered later in the session, so I will have to talk to Representative Smaltz about what he intends to do. Uh, with, uh, with the cold beer issue, but it's, I call it dead for the session. So Speaker Bosma there saying he thinks the cold beer proposal is dead for the session. Tony, full disclosure, that's an issue you've been working on at, at the State House. The Speaker talked about gradualism there. Do you take any victory in, in gradualism, moving this a step forward uh, this year, or is there still some hope to get it done? There's always some hope until, until you know, the clock ticks at midnight on this year, March 14th. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll discuss, you know, what our options are. There was some hope in what both the Speaker and Senator Long made those kind of comments as well. Uh, I would correct one thing that the, the Speaker said, if I heard him correctly. In that summer study commission, uh, there was a majority vote for cold beer, eight to seven. It's just that two members weren't there and we didn't get to the nine that were required right. to, uh, to make a recommendation. So, but, you know, we appreciate, uh, I know the, 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 the folks on the cold beer side appreciate uh, having a hearing. There was an issue where we could have, we think we had, could have had the votes and gotten through the committee if we were allowed to make amendments that would have made the bill better, which we discussed in the, in the summer and we weren't allowed to do And that. this is the furthest this issue has ever gone. And obviously, if Sunday sales passes, that would also be historic in Indiana. It is. And you know, people are just fatigued of these issues. They want solutions and why we're still debating the temperature of beer in Indiana in 2018. People just don't understand. They want us to work on important things that really matter, and that's not happening. Look, how long have we been talking about this on this show? That, that's true. Yeah. And we are the what? last state to have still a prohibition against Sunday sales. And Tony, I'm a little disappointed. You brought us Trump stuff before. You did not bring us a six-pack of beer? cold beer today. I'm really upset about that. Yeah, well, we can head out right now. All right. <laughs> no, we can't on Sunday. There you go. All right, another big story at the State House here. After resigning from the Department of Child Services with a scathing resignation letter, the agency's former director has a new job. Judge Mary Beth Bonaventura will join the staff of Attorney General Curtis Hill as a special counsel. She stepped down from DCS last month over budget concerns. In her resignation letters, she said she could no longer lead the agency under Governor Holcomb's policies, which she felt were putting children at risk. A lot of things to parse through here, especially with the relationship between the governor and attorney general. As the Associated Press noted this past week, this hiring raised some eyebrows at the State House because it's not the first time Hill has broken with Holcomb State. Democrats even said the AG was perhaps goading the governor on this hire. Uh, I think he probably was. I want to actually harken back to a column, Mike, that you wrote uh, a couple weeks ago for the Star about uh, how there's a good way to go out of government and a not so good way to go out of government. Um, Erica Bonaventura picked the wrong way to go out. Um, she's joined Curtis Hill's, I like to call it the Island of Misfit Toys over there. I don't know what he's amassing them for, but he is. Um, and I think the best analogy I can come up with is Milton from Office Space at the very end where he burns the building down. 
I would like to say that I think she should make sure that anything that might be detrimental toward her reputation got mm. burned up when she burned down Ooh. the building. What do you think the governor makes of this hire? Well, I think, first of all, the governor, I'm sure, wishes Mary Beth Bonaventura well. Everybody deserves to have a job. She's a smart lady. He didn't fire her. She resigned. That's right. But and I think the Volcom administration was more than happy to see her go because of the way she ran the agency. Um, but to back up a little bit, you know, this, this whole Curtis Hill-Holcomb thing has not been started by Holcomb. It's been started by, by Hill. And I think he's trying to make people think or trying to prove that he's the, the strongest, you know, Republican in the state. It reminds me of 2006 when Carl Brizzy took on Mitch Daniels and said he was going to test his strength against Mitch Daniels. So the governor always wins. I, I would say that about O'Bannon. I would say about Kern. I would say about Mitch. Any governor, an incumbent governor, always wins. You never take him on. But perhaps a, a rivalry there, a Republican rivalry. All right, we got to talk about this wild week in Washington. As we mentioned off the top, Congress in a blame game over this back and forth, a, a shutdown showdown this weekend. So what is all this going to mean here in Indiana ahead of an all-important midterm election? Well, Friday I spoke with Congressman Luke Messer, who's definitely using this moment to target one Democrat in particular. There's a lot of blame to go around, but, but do both parties hold, hold some degree of blame here in this process? Look, I think if the government shows that, shuts down, it is squarely on Joe Donnelly and Chuck Schumer and the liberal leadership in the Democratic U.S. Senate. The House passed legislation yesterday that not only funds the government, that, but protects our military, ends the medical device tax, which is very important in Indiana over the next two years and, and would provide uh, funding for children's health. So all of these ideas are issues that have broad bipartisan support. Are Democrats willing to shut down the government over this issue? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm here working. I continue to plan to keep working and to, uh, to make sure that our government continues to move forward. Keeping the government running is our job, and I will vote to keep the government open. Do you think there's been enough leadership from the White House on this? There have been some, uh, some might call them mixed signals about what the president, what the White House wants to see on these negotiations. Frankly, I think the president's been very clear. I mean, he wants to keep the government open, and he's been clear on immigration, too, that he's willing to deal with DACA if we're able to secure our border, to keep the president's promise to build a wall, and to look at other immigration reforms like ending chain migration and, and, and getting after illegal immigration in this country. It's not too much to ask. It's frankly what Hoosiers expect. There's the blame game here. There is a Washington Post poll out showing voters uh, blame the GOP and the president more than the Democrats by about 20 points. Though in a situation like this, there's a lot of blame to go around, it seems. Oh, there absolutely is. You know, we do have a Republican president, Republican Congress, so it's hard not to jump to that conclusion. I also heard Representative Messer talking about the president being very clear on DACA and immigration. He's been anything but, and he's been confusing his own party. So I think what we need now is a clear plan forward. We need people to roll up their sleeves, get to work, across the aisle, as uh, Senator Donnelly stated, instead of just pointing the finger. What does this mean for 2018? The, the Schumer shutdown should be the Schumer-Donnelly shutdown. Yeah, I, I think uh, Congress... That's what Messer's going to call it. Yeah, I think, it, I think so. Right on point. And, and, and just looking at the way Senator Donnelly answered that boy, uh, about as brief as we've ever seen an answer from him, he, he's put in a tough position, but he, if he keeps going along with Schumer and with their leadership, it's really going to hurt his chances. Is everybody a loser out of this? I mean, it seems everybody, like political points are trying to be scored everybody's on, on both loser. sides. I'm always amazed at how people, the Republicans don't uh, learn from the Democrat mistakes, and the Democrats don't learn from the Republicans' mistakes. Republicans have been burned time and time again on trying to shut down the government when they were in the other shoe. Now the Democrats are going to do it to pit um, 
saving illegal immigrants against you know all the rest of the, the American citizens. That's a losing message, but everybody loses in this. Except the Democrats aren't losing. That poll shows it. We're winning by 20 points no. on this issue because you guys control everything. No. Spin it however you want okay. to, but long, you're in control term, of everything. The, the, the public thinks that we're, you know, they're all a bunch of idiots, quite frankly. we got to leave it there. We'll have much more on our podcast. More to come after this. All of this, of course, coming one year to the day after President Trump's inauguration. And coming up next, we're going to talk more uh, about what uh, voters are saying one year in to Trump's first term in office. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. But is America any more united one year after that rainy day in January? Yesterday, the one-year mark, and we've got some numbers to crunch this morning. CBS News now has the president's approval rating at 37%. You see that number there and how it compares to other presidential job approval numbers after their first year. President Obama was at 50%, George W. Bush at 82% after 9-11, 54 for Clinton, 76 for George H.W. Bush, 49% for Ronald Reagan. And if you go ahead and you look at another number, it tells a much different story, though for the president. Numbers that look much better here. The Dow, since the election, it has climbed, breaking new records, 19,000, 20,000, 21,000, and now breaking new records this past week, up over 26,000. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers, right after this. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. Tony, you're up first. I'm going to look at the year uh, because of it being the president's uh, year anniversary of his inauguration. He's had a great year. Look at what he did with tax reform and tax cuts. Uh, employees getting uh, bonuses and, and increases in their wages. Christina, different Tony, take. yeah, for talking about diversifying our energy portfolio. Way to go. Also, Indiana Democrat Women, we launched a new leadership organization, Hoosier Women Forward. This is going to be amazing. Mike and Jen, I'll keep it simple and local. The Indiana, the central Indiana area, Indianapolis for the Amazon, Amazon. top point. Yeah. And my winner is, hey, we're a quarter year there into the uh, Trump administration, so that's, uh, that's a quarter of the way through the first and hopefully only term. All right, we'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Thanks for joining us.